0: Well, if you are a first-time guest, my name is Aaron, teaching pastor for Riverwood. Really glad you are here. Uh, and uh, some of you don't know, but the very first song that we sang, uh, Jake and uh, Anna, didn't you two write that together? Uh, so this is a uh, original. So if you didn't know it, that would be why. And uh, I often listen to that song on my drive-in uh, because it's a reminder of this is what we are doing. We are here to declare the good news of God. A year and a half ago, we did a series called "Defining Church," and in that. Series, I shared a story about my daughters. At that time, they were around ages five and two, or maybe six and three. And we were driving in the minivan back home. It was evening time, about dusk. The street lights were just starting to come on. The, the roads were a little empty. And as we're driving along, all of a sudden, my six year old says out loud, Hey, look at those hot guys. Now, yeah, I, I, a couple of you, eyes just got really big. Yeah, that was my reaction. And I look over at my wife, and she has the exact same reaction I do, when suddenly the little three-year-old sister calls out, yeah, hot guys. <laughs> like, what is going on? Like, I had no idea my daughter's played, hot or not. You know, like, I, what is happening? Like, I'm looking for billboards. Is there, like, some male model up there? Or, you know, I don't see any guys out running. Like, what is happening? And so my wife just turns around and she goes, Karis, what did you say? She goes, I saw some hot guys. like, what guys did you see? And at that moment, a car is passing us, and Karis goes, look, right there, that hot guy. (laughs) She was saying one word, but we heard something entirely different. The reason I use that illustration a year a half ago is because when some people say the word church, they hear one word but might be thinking of something entirely different. Depending on where you go, if you say the word church, someone might envision in their head a big cathedral, stained glass windows, the priest in a robe, ancient liturgy and hymns, whereas someone else may be thinking of their church plant. That meets in a school where there's lights and, you know, a a pastor who gives a spiritual TED talk and the the music's really loud. And yet, if you were in North Korea, you'd be thinking of your secret underground house church. Or if you were in rural Kenya, you might think of the church that you have to walk miles to get to, and then you have a three to four hour worship service. But if you were in the inner city, you might be thinking of, you know, a a group of Christians that come out and serve a meal to the, the homeless. Or maybe as you uh, hear it, you're you're thinking of like some political action group that is strongly opinionated and, and really involved with politics. You can say the word church and get a whole wide range of thoughts and ideas. But what we tried to do during that Defining Church series was to help people see that church is not to be defined by their building. It's not to be defined by their worship style. It shouldn't be defined by the labels that will often get slapped on it. Instead, the definition of the church should be this. At Riverwood, we believe that the definition of the church is that it is the redeemed people of God living on mission together under the headship of Jesus to live out the implications of the gospel. Today, I hope for you to see that where we get that definition from. As we jump into the book of Acts, we are going to see how the church began to function in its early days And I don't believe it was supposed to be something just for that season. I believe it's what God desires for all of the church to be doing throughout all of time. So what I hope you'll learn today is how they were kind of living and functioning as a church and start to make that help become a reality here. But that also today, as we walk through Riverwood's discipleship pathway, you'll see the way for us to become that kind of church in order for us to become that kind of church, but that means you have to kind of walk that discipleship pathway and become the person that God calls you to be. So, as we, uh, if to show it for yourself, uh, to see it for yourself, for me to show you, that did not go out very well, uh, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Open up to Acts chapter 2, and we are going to be doing verses 42 through 47 today. All right, We've already uh, read through Acts 2, 42-47, uh, but because I really, really want this to sink in, uh, we're going to read it again, but hopefully this time you have your Bible open uh, there in front of you. Uh, at Riverwood, we open the scriptures every single week. We're going to be talking today a little bit about the importance of the scriptures, so we really want you to have something in, in your hand. So if you need to, use the screen, but if, if, if better, it would have something right there that you're holding on to. All right, so join me. Acts 2, starting at verse 42. And they devoted themselves and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Pastors like me love Acts 2, 42 through 47. I've, I've heard this passage taught numerous times by different pastors. I've read it in books written by pastors I even use it in our membership class, uh, Riverwood 101, to become a Riverwood partner. We, we talk about this passage. But I don't think it should be pastors that just love this. I think anyone who is a follower of Jesus should love this passage. You see, the scriptures make it clear that, that when you put your faith in Jesus, you become a member of the church. Maybe not every local expression, but of the global church. Well, passages like 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12 that talk about these members of the church, you are a part of the body of Christ, which means we are connected to God, but we're also connected to one another. And so because we are all connected, I would hope we would all want to know, so what should this look like? How should the church function? How are we called to live? And so I hope that when we get done today, you don't just have a little better understanding of how the early church lived, that you'll actually have a little bit more of a passion of how we should live. If you are a part of Riverwood, you'll have an idea. This is what we are called to. If you're not part of Riverwood and are looking for a church, this would help you understand, well, here's who Riverwood wants to be. And if you're just from out of town and you're just visiting and maybe part of a church back home, this might help you in helping them be the church God calls them to be. To help structure our uh, time together today, we're going to walk through Riverwood's discipleship pathway. It's gather, grow, give, go. And I want to draw each of these out of this passage to help you see that this is what the early church did. And so therefore, it's part of what we are called to do. So the first thing uh, we see is that they gather. They gather together. In verse 46, we see it says that day by day, they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. I have been in full-time ministry for almost 30 years. Holy cow, I'm old. Uh, During those almost 30 years, I have heard all sorts of things said about various churches and their styles, and primarily about their size. I have heard megachurch pastors speak ill of small churches and even the house church movement. They say that they're not as effective in evangelism, that they're more prone to heresy, they're more likely to become a cult, and they they think that they're they're just not good, that the best thing is that large group megachurch gathering. At the same time, I've heard small church pastors, and even those who are part of the house church movement, speak ill of the megachurch, of large churches that they're not as effective in making disciples. They, They are a waste of resources and money. They're too often centered around their pastor and not around Jesus. In fact, just on Twitter yesterday, I saw a pastor say, my ecclesiastical, uh, and anyone seeing this on Twitter? Maybe you guys aren't on Twitter. Right now, there's this whole annoying theme, uh, meme going around. It's a, an image from, uh, what's the Goldilocks movie, um, uh, the, the Disney or Pixar. Anyway, the the one character is in the bar, and all the knives are, like, pointing at his throat. You know, kids, do you at least know what movie I'm talking about? Tangled. Tangled. Thank you. Okay, Tangled. All right. The, the, the like... Good guy, bad guy, the thief. You know, you, if you've seen the movie, you know who I'm talking about. He's like in this bar and he gets in this fight, and all these knives are pointing at him. There's this whole movement right now on Twitter, like, "What is your theological position that would put you in this position where everyone would have their knives at you?" And one guy said that the mega church should not exist. There was anti-large church, and yet, what do we see here in Acts 42? <laughs> Acts 42, Acts 2, verse 46. We see them gathering in large groups and in small groups. First, we see them in those large group gatherings. It says that day by day, they were attending the temple together. Right? You, you have to realize this is a group of Jews who have grown up going to the temple every single Sabbath, every Saturday, And they're probably continuing to do that. But because they now believe that the Messiah has come, died on a cross, and rose again from the dead, this is worth celebrating. So tradition holds that they slowly begin to move away from the Sabbath to a Sunday large group gathering. And and you have to remember, last week, we saw 3,000 people added to the church. So we're talking a megachurch here. The apostles would get up. Peter, one of the other guys, would say, well, yeah, Jesus taught us this. Or, or, or here's how this Old Testament passage points to Jesus, how, how this has been the plan all along. It doesn't say right here, but we know from other passages in Scripture that singing was a part of the, the Jewish uh, faith. And so there were probably songs. Maybe they had songwriters who were beginning to put together songs like we, we have original songs, so they could sing and declare the gospel. This was a large group worship gathering. It can be beautiful, God can move powerfully in that. And yet, that's not the only place that God works. That's not the only environment his spirit can be effective. Because we also see them gathering in small groups. Right after saying they're gathering together in the temple, these large group gatherings, it says they were breaking bread in their homes. And that breaking of bread isn't just, oh, well, we're sharing a meal. That's part of it. But it could also include communion. They are breaking that communion bread, sharing with one another, declaring the gospel to each other, helping one another understand these things. Some of them, it probably was evangelism. They're having a friend over. Let me tell you about my faith in Jesus. Some of them, let me just encourage you in this faith. I, I've been following Jesus for a week longer than you. Let me help you see what I've known. And, and this is happening in those small groups. Both can be used by God. Both can be beautiful. Let us not make the mistake of speaking ill of the idea of a whole group of people gathering together or speak ill of the small group where it's just, you know, three, four, five families that gather together. So here's my encouragement. My encouragement is to consistently be in both environments. To consistently get into that large group gathering. Yeah, you're not going to know everyone there, but there's something powerful that can happen When you're singing together and praying together and learning together, God uses this. But at the same time, we should also find ourselves in small groups because your relationships will go deeper. Your learning will go deeper. You're praying directly for one another. There are personal relationships. People are praying for you. So please get into these settings Gather together, large group, small group. Now, I realize that sometimes you can't get into those gatherings. If you lived in Korea, you would not, or North Korea, you would not have the option of, of that large group gathering. If you tried to pull something off like this, we'd all be arrested and thrown in prison. It, it, you'd be, only have the small group. But sometimes life is such that maybe you, you work out of state, out of town, you're only home on the weekend, and, and so you can't get connected into a small group of believers. Now, we have Zoom and other things that are starting to make those sort of things possible. But even if all you can have is Sunday, then at least take advantage of that. But the main thing is put yourself into the gathering, large group and small group, as consistently as you can because God uses them to accomplish something great in you. And that leads to the next one, to grow. After gathering, we see the people growing. Notice up there in verse 42. It says that they were devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, we do not have the, the privilege of having Peter or the other apostles stand up here and directly teach us what Jesus taught them. But we do have their writings. We, we have either the, the New Testament, one of the criteria before they decided to allow it into the canon was that it either had to be written by one of the 12 uh, 12 apostles or by one of their direct, like, protégés, someone that they were mentoring, someone they were spending time with. So like the book of Mark, which we studied a while back, it's understood that Mark got most of of that from Peter. And so it's in a sense like Peter's gospel to us, it's just that God used Mark to help write it. And so study the apostles' teaching, get into the scriptures. Now, this is why we have in our large group gatherings— We open the scriptures every single week. So that's why you have to put up with me almost every single week saying, if you don't own a Bible, stop by our resource table and pick one up. If you you have a phone, download one to your phone. Some of you can almost repeat that back to me because you hear it every single Sunday. But it's important because we want you to not only study it here together, but to then also be able to take it and study it elsewhere. That's why we encourage you, get into a growth group. Because each of our growth groups, they're not just going to sit around and just talk about, you know, hey, how about the weather? Did you guys hear about that earthquake? You, you guys are going to like open the scriptures together and you're going to study these things to help you go deeper, to help you grow. But we also think that your greatest growth will happen when you take this down to a personal level. We really want to see you take on these personal spiritual disciplines and that the first tool that you would use is the Bible. Bible. So that's why we have the Bibles out there. Not just so you can bring it and use it here on Sunday. We want you to take it home. Set it on your bed uh, uh, nightstand and read it right before bed or make it the first thing you do in the morning. Put it someplace prominent so that you'll pull it out. It's why on our website we have some Bible reading plans. It's why we encourage you, if you're going to download a Bible uh, to your phone, download the YouVersion app because they have Bible plans built in that can help you get into the scriptures. It's why we provide you free access to Right Now Media. You can do these video Bible studies. If you don't have access, the the way to get get it is on the back side of your handout, and you can text it in and and get that connection. Even if you're not part of Riverwood, even if you're only here this one Sunday, you can still uh, connect and get that access to, to Right Now Media. The main thing is we want you to be getting into the Scriptures Because God uses it. It's inspired by God. Tells us in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 that the, the Bible is God's word. It's been inspired by God, which is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. God wants to do some great things in you. And part of what he uses is the scriptures. But so often, just getting a bunch of Bible knowledge fills our head. But God isn't just wanting to make us smarter He's wanted us to become more like Jesus, to live like Jesus, to love like Jesus. And so what to help develop the heart is prayer. Think of it like Bible reading is like breathing in, prayer is breathing out. And that's the next thing we see them do. Right after we're told that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, so they're, they're learning about the gospel, they're committed to the fellowship to one another, to the breaking of bread, it says, and to the prayers. This was a praying people. They had just had God the Son living in the flesh with them. They have a relationship. And so they pray. They talk to him. I know a number of people, though, they're just like, ah, I'm just not good at prayer. If you are able to put together sentences, you can pray. God is not impressed by the poetry of your tongue. He runs the humility of your heart. So you don't have to pray in King James. You can pray in just common, everyday language. It can be raw. It can be unscripted. It can fumble. God doesn't care. He loves you. He wants you. Hebrews 4.16 tells us that we can approach the throne of God's grace with confidence. Not because of anything we have done, but because of what Christ has done. So you are invited into this. Imagine right now in your head, your favorite musician or favorite actor or like a favorite athlete, some, someone really, really well-known, someone that you just really admire. Now imagine that person directly contacts you and says, hey, I'm going to be in Waverly, Iowa. Yeah, right. And I'd like to take you out for dinner. I hear you're one of my biggest fans. You bet you're going to rearrange your schedule. You're going to be there. The God of the universe has opened it up for you to come into his presence, to approach his throne of grace with confidence. So why wouldn't we want to come and talk to him? He wants us there. So pray. Because as you read scriptures, you're breathing in, but as you pray, you're breathing out. And just let it flow. That I realize some of you are still thinking, Aaron, you're a professional Christian. It's easy for you to say. All right, then let me just give you some tips. If you're part of a growth group, ask your growth group to consider doing a study on prayer. But as you do that study on prayer, you guys take turns praying. What? You, like, you want me to pray out loud? Yeah, I want you to pray out loud. Because the more comfortable you get praying out loud, the more likely you are to pray in private. So start praying. Maybe go to Right Now Media. Pull up a study on prayer. And as you're, you're watching and learning it, start praying. Maybe get a book book about prayer. It will help inspire you. In fact, there are books that have guided prayers in them. Go, go get Valley of Vision. It's nothing but a whole collection of Puritan prayers. Some of them are a little too raw. Some of them are a little too poetic, but at least might give you a start and a guide to begin to pray. Or just take the Bible, the Scriptures, and let it start guide you in praying. Let, let, let me give you an example. We're looking at uh, verse 42 right now. Let's say you've got verse 42. You just start praying. You say, God, help me to devote myself to the apostles teaching. Help me be devoted to the scriptures. God, I get so lazy sometimes. Just help me to, to be devoted to learning from you. God, help me to be devoted to the fellowship. Would you just put me in connection with other believers who are going to help me in my faith? Help me to be that kind of person to help these people also grow. God, would you help me to be committed to to breaking of the bread and the prayers? God, I don't feel like I'm good at prayer. I don't feel like I know what to say. Would you just help me grow in this? Because I believe your heart is for me. So just continue to develop this within me. Help me be devoted to prayer. Just let the scriptures begin to help guide you. Because it's right there saying, here's what God wants for you. So then just use it to let it guide your words. And ask God for these things directly. So develop personal spiritual disciplines of scripture and prayer. And let God use that to grow you. All right, so we've seen gather, grow. Next we see give. Verse 45 tells us that they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. All right, when we think of giving, we usually think of financial giving. And we see them doing that. They're saying, well, I've got some land I'm not using. Why am I just letting it sit there? I'm not even farming it. Let me sell it off and we'll give the proceeds. Because this person needs some land to farm. This person is lacking this. Oh, they need some health care. And so they were doing what they could to take care of one another. But yet, if you really think about it, generosity is not just a financial thing. It's a heart thing. Look there at verse 46. We've already seen it. We've seen how they were gathering together. But notice the ending. It says that they received their food with glad and generous hearts. This went beyond just, oh, let me just give some money. This was them giving everything. At Riverwood, we talk of giving our fist, our finances, our influence, our skills, and our time. Sometimes you might find yourself in a season where you're just really, really strapped financially. I don't think it means we don't give anything at all. We can still give financially, but we have to realize there's more than just financial means that we can give of our time. We can give some skill, we can give of our influence. Now, I, I think Riverwood is a great place for you to give. I, I, I think that if, you know, you're growing here, then, then this should be a place that you're giving of your finances, your time, your skills. So, some of you could give your time into ushering, greeting, helping out the cafe, helping back in kids. Some of you, you have skills that would really help in, in some different areas. Or or Influence. Like get back there in the kids and, and show some influence on these kids or, or sign up to be a mentor through all-in mentoring and just spend 30 minutes once a week with the kid at in, in the schools. You will make a world of difference. Just exert some influence upon them. God wants you to live with these generous hearts because generosity impacts those around you. It is not a mistake that right after Luke says in verse 46 that these people had generous hearts, That we see the very next uh, verse, verse 47, that they had favor with all the people. That is not just favor within themselves, although they did. This was favor with the outside community. People are drawn to generosity. When you live with this sort of generous heart, people will be drawn to you. If we as a church live with this kind of generosity, people will be drawn to our church. So I don't think it's a mistake that the church was seeing God add to their numbers daily those who were being saved. They lived with such generosity that it was impacting those around. But generosity doesn't just impact those around you. It also impacts you. The things of this world can become like weights upon your soul. Burdens you have to carry. Oftentimes they're things that God has given you for you to steward But sometimes they weigh us down so much that as we give, as we cast it off, we find a little more lightness, a little more freedom, a little more joy. The generosity that they were experiencing wasn't just impacting those around them. It was impacting them. And that was part of why they're filled with awe, why there was so much joy, why there was just this excitement within this early church because of their generosity. If you want to grow spiritually, yes, gather with other believers, build those personal spiritual disciplines, but develop this giving attitude. Let generosity just flow through you of your fist. Finances, your influence, your skills, and your time. All right, the last thing we see is go. In week one of our series, we uh, saw the mandate that Jesus gave to the disciples, that they were to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, but then also Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. This meant that they were going to have to go. Well, we saw last week with the coming of the Holy Spirit, the the Holy Spirit enabled the believers to speak in all these different languages. Now, there were some people that were in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, but there were some people who'd moved to Jerusalem because they were Jewish and they didn't want to live in their nations. They wanted to live with their fellow Jews in Jerusalem. But the, the the Hebrew or Koine Greek that they were speaking there wasn't their heart language. They spoke something else back home. And so to hear the gospel right there in their language drew them in. And so we saw the mandate already beginning to be started as people in Jerusalem, who were from the ends of the earth, were beginning to be reached. But even though we saw 3,000 people put their faith in Jesus last week, God wasn't done. He didn't stop. In verse 47, we see that God was adding to their number daily, day by day, those who were being saved. Now, God, if he so desires, could just reach into someone's life and open their eyes. They could realize it's true. But usually, what God does to get someone to that point is he uses everyday people like you. The early Christians had witnessed the resurrection of Jesus, and it floored them, overwhelmed them. They couldn't help but gather together in the temple to worship, to gather together in homes, to give, to help one another. And so it just was spilling out of them, and they couldn't help but talk about it. Oh, no. Aaron, you're, you're saying evangelism? Like you expect me to have to do evangelism? Yes. But Aaron, I, I don't have a seminary degree. I, I, I'm new to my, my faith in Jesus. I, I, I didn't grow up in, in, a, in a place that, that taught me how to do this. I, I, I can't do it. Oh, Aaron, I, I don't have a spiritual gift of evangelism. So I, I, I guess I have a, a out. No. If you could talk about last night's basketball game, you could do evangelism. If you could talk about your vacation last summer, you can do evangelism. If you could talk about your kids and the funny thing that they did yesterday, you can talk about evangelism. You, you guys can do this. It's simply being a witness. If you are a follower of Jesus, at one time in your life, you realized this crazy story was actually true that there is a triune God in heaven who sent his son down to earth who lived the only sinless life to have ever been lived but went and died in the sinner's place. And to show he had this kind of power, he raised himself from the dead. And you can acknowledge, yeah, I I realize it sounds crazy, but I know it's true. I, I believe it. Your role is not to arm twist them. You don't have to have a sales gimmick. You don't have to to arm twist anything. You just simply share. You're just a witness to what God has done in you and for you. And if God opens their eyes, awesome. But you, as you go to work, to school, to, to, to sports, to go play, wherever you're going, just go to represent Christ. And if God provides the opportunity, then just simply share what you know. That's it. Nothing fancy. Just share. Just talk. But but Aaron, I still don't feel adequate that I'll tell you what you do. Study the scriptures. Start diving into the Bible. Because the more familiar you get with it, the easier it is going to be to talk and share. Get into a growth group. Because the more you're in a growth group where people are talking about things and praying these things, the more easily you're going to be able to share about it with others. And continue to come on Sundays. Be a part of this. Because guess what? We're going to talk about this every single week. We don't just talk about the resurrection on Easter. We celebrate the gospel every single week. The more you're here, the more you'll hear it. The more you'll treasure it, the more likely it'll be easier to then share it because I'm going to tell you, if you have the joy of seeing someone put their faith in Jesus, it will be one of the greatest experiences you've ever had. And I realize, some of you are married. Your wedding day may have been an awesome day, one of the highlights. Some of you are parents. Having a kid was one of the coolest things that ever happened to you guys. Some of you, you've achieved great things. You've accomplished great things. You've won awards. You've been recognized. I'm telling you, as great as those things are, They pale in comparison to seeing someone's eternity flipped. I've experienced all of those. All of them great and beautiful. And yet none of them have been even compared to seeing someone put their faith in Jesus. I want you to have that joy. But I think to get to that joy, is to simply gather together with other believers, to grow spiritually through the scriptures and prayer, to give of your fist and say, God, I'll go wherever you send me, to work, to school, to my neighbor, to Timbuktu. Wherever you want me, God, I'll go. And as you go on that pathway, you'll be living out the function of the church, letting God do in you what he wants for his glory and your joy. So Heavenly Father, now I just pray that you would help these things to sink into our mind and heart. This wouldn't be about what I've tried to say. It wouldn't be about me trying to convince anyone. Rather, it'd be us being convinced that this is what you have for us. God, I believe that you've sent your Holy Spirit, that he resides in each and every one of your believers, and that he can give the power to do these things. God, we have a world all around us that is trying to distract us. We have uh, this old dead sin nature that still wants to give in to selfishness. But God, I believe that you are powerful enough to work through it. So God, give us the desire to gather with believers. Help us not to just go with attending church or getting into a growth group when we just feel like it, but that we do it because we know you have something better for us than maybe what we want in the moment. I I pray that you would help us to, to commit ourselves to personal spiritual disciplines that we wouldn't just be lazy or or relegated to the side, but we'd let your scriptures be a key part of our life, whether it's reading it or or listening to it in the car as we travel, whatever means needed, that you would use these things to mold and shape us into the image of Jesus. God, would you help us to be a praying people? Would you grow within us a desire to approach your throne of grace with confidence that we would joyfully kneel before this throne in worship and full trust, knowing that as we cast our prayers upon you, you will deal with them perfectly, with perfect timing, with a perfect answer. So help us, Father, to approach you and trust you. God, help us to be generous people. That, that, that because of what you have generously given to us through Christ, that we would just generously give to those around. That that generosity would be sensed in our, in our faces, our smiles, in our actions, our words. that that everything about us would be about just giving and blessing others because of what you've done for us through Christ. And with that, God, I pray you'd help us to go. I pray that we would be people who wouldn't just go about the day doing the, the routine, that we would go knowing that we've been sent by you, that we would be our ambassadors, that we would represent you through our actions and through our words. So God, for those of us who've been lazy, would you just help us to see that you forgive us? those of us who have uh, been wrestling with doubt, that we'd be able to bring those doubts to you and let you answer these things. For those of us who've just allowed our life to get way too full, that we'd be able to shed some things off so that we have you and that you would be our foundation, you would be our treasure. And Lord, if there is anything that I uh, said today that was not of you, would you graciously let us forget that? If there's something that I forgot to say that needed to be said, would you somehow bring that to our attention, whether it's in a growth group or in a, a, a podcasted sermon or in a song or even through your word? But Lord, the things that you really wanted us to ha- hear today, help us to hold on to those, that they'd be like handles on the suitcases as we carry these things with us so that they would make us more like Jesus, that we would love like him and live like him. God, I believe you want to accomplish something great through us But to do so, you usually want to do something first in us. So help us, Father, to just commit ourselves to you, to humble ourselves before you, to confess our sin, and let you do in us anything that you need to do so that we can become the people you call us to be. Because as we each become that person, we become the church you call us to be. We would be the church that is truly taking your gospel out into our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth pray this now in the name of Jesus. Amen. To give you a chance to reflect, we will open up the communion table as we uh, go into song. Uh, Use this next moment to simply pray. If there's a scripture that God brought to mind, feel free to open that up and read that and pray through that. Uh, If you are a follower of Jesus and want to include communion in your worship today, the tables are open. As you take those, remember that that bread represents Jesus' body. The cup represents Jesus' blood that he gave his entire life to pay for your sin but he now invites you into a relationship, into the presence of God. So let us approach that throne of grace right now. Let us do this in remembrance of him.